Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Good morning, everybody here on the screen. I want to welcome you, Lord, to this SOAP. Uh, and I know the Lord's been waiting, uh, waiting for us all to get together here. So glad you could be here. Uh, let's take a minute, stretch. If you need to get your body loose to get your spirit ready, that would be great. So let's take a minute. Uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we want to thank you, uh, Lord, for the privilege of getting together as brothers and sisters to come and to study your word. And we know, Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a guide. Uh, it's something that gives us the ability to know your will and then to put that will into action. So, Holy Spirit, we know you're the great teacher, so we pray you'd breathe upon Nehemiah 2. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to have ears to hear what you're saying to us individually and as a group, uh, and help us, Lord, not just to hear your word today, but then to put it into action uh, as we'd leave. So, Father, we come with an open, and we come with an expectant heart to meet you through your word. And it's in your name we ask you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, folks, let's read uh, Nehemiah 2. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Aresurxes, that wine was before him. And I, Nehemiah, took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you're not sick? There's nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the forest, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. And when Senebala, the Horonite, 
and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night, and I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone, but my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well. And on the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down at its gates, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mouth to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. But when Sanabalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard it, they mocked us. They despised us and said, what's this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no production or memorial in Jerusalem. Amen. Okay. So, uh, before I jump right into uh, chapter two, let me just backtrack a minute and uh, review really quickly chapter one. So, Nehemiah uh, is a leader of the Jews. Uh, he also, simultaneously, is a cupbearer to the king over in Persia. So he has a dual role. And as he's in Persia, he hears words from some of his Jewish brethren back in Jerusalem that things are not going well at all. <clears throat> uh, it says that the city is basically desolate. The walls have been pulled down. Uh, overall, it's a really sad situation. And if you look at chapter one, uh, Nehemiah is broken by that. And he, he goes to God in prayer, asking God's help for Jerusalem, but he also says, in a sense, God, give me the ability to go to Jerusalem uh, so that I can help begin to repair the situation that's there. That's kind of uh, chapter one. Now, as I look at chapter two, I think there's four points uh, that I'd like us to look at. Number one, um, we need to have God's compassion in our lives. We need to know is compassion for other people. Number two, we'll look at, uh, is we need to be a people of prayer. And number three, we need to be able to experience God's favor in our lives if we're going to be successful in ministry. 
we need to know is fair. And four, we need to know that Satan will do everything in his power to stop us if we're seeking to do God's will and to do it for his glory. We do have an enemy, and we're going to see that very clearly in this chapter. So number one, let's look at the idea of compassion. Uh, and I like what somebody uh, said, compassion basically is letting your heart break with what breaks the heart of God. Let me say that again. I really like that definition. Compassion is letting your heart be so in sync in alignment with God that what breaks his heart, what hurts him, we feel in our own selves. We feel what God feels as he looks at a given situation. So uh, look at the compassion, look at chapter two, right here in the very beginning. Uh, and it came about in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Anaxarchus, that wine was before him. Okay, so he basically, as the cupbearer, brings the wine to the king, okay? And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sat in his presence. And, and here is where we kick in on the compassion. Look at verse 2. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. So basically, the king reads right into Nehemiah. And I'm sure we've seen that. Sometimes you look at somebody's face, and you, you know something's going on deep inside them. And the king looks at Nehemiah, and although Nehemiah is not trying to show it, the king sees right through Nehemiah and says, hey, something's wrong. What, what's going on inside of you, Nehemiah? Uh, and basically, uh, if you flip back to chapter 1 and look at 4, uh, you'll get an idea of what's going on on the inside of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah 1.4, it says, Now it came about when I heard these words that everything's going haywire in Jerusalem. Here's It says this, I, Nehemiah, sat down, and I wept, and I mourned for days. I mean, this man is shaken by the news of what's happened to Jerusalem. He said, I wept. So he, he's obviously having great compassion and pain over what's going on to the Jews in Jerusalem. And I mourned for days. This isn't just one like, oh, I have a bad, bad moment or two or a bad day. He, he's overwhelmed by compassion for the problem in Jerusalem. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So I think very clearly we see uh, that Nehemiah is on the wavelength of God. And God's heart is breaking for Jerusalem. And God transfers that burden and that compassion into Nehemiah. Now, I just want you to see there's other people in the Bible uh, that demonstrate this idea of compassion in the heart. Uh, let me just give you uh, two of them. Uh, we know Moses was a tremendously compassionate leader of the Jews. We also know the story uh, when Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Everything goes wild. Uh, Aaron allows the Jews to build a golden calf, an idol, which is totally uh, totally against what God commanded them. 
And uh, this really winds up Moses really big. Uh, and in Exodus 32, uh, this is what we hear, Exodus 32, 30, uh, about Moses' reaction. It says this, and it came about on the next day that Moses said to the people, so he comes down from the mountain, finds out what happened. You yourselves have committed a grave sin. Now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. The Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has committed a great sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. And here's the key point, verse 32. But now, if thou wilt, forgive their sin. He stands in the gap and he says, God, just forgive them. I know they don't deserve it, but I'm standing in the gap for them. God, please forgive their foolishness and their sin. And he says this, and if not, please blot me out from thy book, which thou has written. Basically, he's saying, God, if you're not going to forgive them, then just blot me out. I, I'm, I'm done. He, he is so identified with the Israelites that he stands in the gap and he says, God, you got to forgive them or in a sense, take me out, Let, give them a shot. But he is so, so, so concerned and compassionate for his people. Now, the other tremendous illustration of compassion uh, in the Bible, flipping from the old to the new, is Jesus himself. Jesus is not some kind of a stoic God that just is kind of removed from what goes on in human life. He has emotions just the way you and I have emotions. He's moved, the Bible says, many times with compassion. Let me give you a couple of these. Uh, in Mark, and uh, you don't have time to look them all up, but let me just give you the reference and I'll read them. If you look at Mark, chapter 1 and verse 40 and 41, uh, it says this, Mark 1, 40 and 41. So uh, a person comes to him, a leper, and Jesus came to him, beseeching him. I'm sorry, a leper came to him, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before Jesus, saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So you can picture a leper, I mean, they are horrendous to look at. They have swores all over. This guy wants to be healed because he's ostracized from his people. They have to keep at a distance. Plus, the disease is a terrible disease. It can begin to eat away your extremities where fingers or toes can fall off. He's in a very, very bad way. Uh, and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus says this, and moved with compassion. So Jesus sees the leper, and when he sees him, something stirs on the inside of Jesus when he sees the condition of the man. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand. He touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. So Jesus sees the physical pain and is moved inside and says, ah, oh, I feel this, and he heals the man. Now, if you go a little bit further, uh, you can turn to Matthew 15, and this is Matthew 15 and verse 30. Uh, on that whole theme of, of healing, listen to this, and then we're going to flip to the other form of compassion he has. And it says, great multitudes came to Jesus, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, dumb, and many others. 
and they laid them down at his feet and he healed them. I mean, all kind of situations. I don't know where you are at physically, but Jesus healed back then. And we just heard on Sunday the testimony that Jesus is still healing today. Uh, so if you have a need, bring it to him. It says, so the multitude marveled as they saw the dumb speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And now here's a next form of compassion Jesus had. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not wish to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. So Jesus had had this tremendous preaching session for, it says basically here, three days, they haven't had a chance to eat. Uh, they're hungry. And he says, I, I don't want them to have to go home because uh, they because not eating, they may be faint. They may, may not be able to do the trip. And because he's moved again inside with compassion, he sees their need and he now multiplies the bread. So Jesus is compassionate about physical ills and pain, but he's also moved with compassion by human need. And one of the greatest needs uh, we have here is the need, basically, for spiritual renewal in Jesus. And if you look at Matthew 9, and it's Matthew 9, and if you look at verse 36, Jesus looks at the crowd, and it says this, and seeing the multitude, here's the word again, he felt compassion for them. Why? Because he saw that they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep are totally lost without a shepherd. I mean, they're dumb, they're stupid, they panic, they can uh, do all kind of foolish things, even go over cliffs sometimes. Uh, because they don't know what they're up to. And he, he looks at the people and he says, these people are lost. I mean, they don't have a clue what's going on spiritually. And again, it says he's moved by compassion, by their lostness, because he knows he can offer them such a better life. So three times we see Jesus is moved. He's moved by physical pain, by physical needs, and by spiritual needs. Again, he feels the pain of people. And another one uh, illustrating that of compassion. In Matthew 23, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, and there he's going to be crucified. And as he's entering into the city of Jerusalem, something happens. And I think this is very powerful in Matthew 23 and verse 37. He says this, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and you can almost feel the, the, the burden and the sorrow and the heaviness of his heart when he says, he doesn't just say Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, his heart is moved, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. His literally, his heart is breaking because he wants to give them new life and they want nothing to do with it. And I think if you want to look at compassion, I believe when Jesus is on the cross, there's all kind of compassion. He has compassion 
for one of the criminals on the other side of him. Even in his own pain, he looks out and brings that one to salvation. Even on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. He's looking out at the crowds. The Jews that hate him are mocking him, shaking their fists. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Compassion. It's a theme through the Bible, from Moses to Nehemiah to Jesus to the prophets. They feel the heart of God. And I believe God wants everyone on the screen, you and I, to feel his heart. What's going on in his heart? To let his heart touch your heart and burden your heart. I believe the Lord calls each of us to have compassion on those around us, on our family, on our friends, on our church family, uh, on the people we work with. You know, sometimes they may not be ones that you want to work with, but I think the Lord says, still, demonstrate my compassion on them and my love. I believe uh, that God wants us uh, to have compassion on other people we run into. I mean, maybe you go and, uh, you know, the, the, the person that's the gas attendant or the person that's the checkout person uh, in the, the store. And you can see, just like the king saw on Nehemiah, the sadness on his face, uh, in a sense, the king had some compassion. We need to have compassion. And as we interact with people and you see their pain, sometimes God will prompt us to say a good word to them, to try to lift them up or to pray for them. So... Uh, there's all kind of opportunities to have compassion. Uh, basically, I think the greatest thing you can do for somebody that's hurting is listen. Listen. I think it's so easy for us to try to fix, particularly for guys. I mean, you know, there's a problem. Let's fix it. Boom, boom, boom. Here, check, 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 check. You're going to be good to go. I don't think that's the primary thing. Jesus was an amazing listener. And I think when we see people's pain, the Lord calls us, okay, just listen, let them talk, let them get their feelings out, let them get their pain out. So we need to be good listeners, but not just good listeners, we need to be good doers. Um, I'm thankful for our church. We have people that, that feel the burden and they go to Atlantic City uh, to basically feed the homeless folks. That's amazing. I know in Kathy's church, there's a, a, a family that's uh, needing a new house, uh, and they're working with Habitat of Humanity. And some of the people from her church go out and help literally build this house because they're moved by that. Uh, there just needs to be that sensitivity, uh, not just on these things, but what about sensitivity? I mean, do we feel the Lord's pain when we look at the Ukraine? It must be breaking God's heart to say, how does this have to be? that we're literally shooting bolts at each other. God's heart has to be broken when he looks over Israel and the whole situation with Hamas and the deaths and the shootings. God's heart must be saying, this is horrendous. God is feeling that pain. And I think he wants us to feel that pain to a level and not to be cold and immune from the hurts of the world, but, but being able to feel them and make a response and that leads me right into point two. One of the greatest responses we can do to human pain is not just listen and do something, but to actually pray about the situation. Pray about the situation. So we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people of prayer. And Nehemiah, wow, does he exemplify that in such an amazing way. 
if you look at uh, chapter two, uh, and it, it basically, if you look at uh, 2.3, uh, Nehemiah says this, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? And I love this little parenthesis here. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah says, yeah, I'm going to make my request, but Lord, silently, I mean, Lord, help me, help me to say the right words. Lord, move the king's heart. So he's a man of prayer. Uh, it's not the first time we see prayer. Uh, if you flip back to chapter one again, uh, basically we saw that he moaned, you know, mourned uh, and wept. And then he begins to pray in chapter one, five. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. So he prays. But let me give you some other ones. If you look at chapter four, uh, basically persecution is happening. Okay. Uh, God's work is going on, but there's persecution. Chapter four. Uh, and then basically verse four, it says this. He prays, Jeremiah, uh, um, Nehemiah. Here, Oh, our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads. Give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. So there's persecution, and immediately Nehemiah prays, God, please jump in. Nehemiah 4.8. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause a disturbance in it. In other words, there's enemies. But, but we prayed to our God. And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Again, there's persecution. What does he do? He prays. Chapter 5 and verse 19. Uh, Nehemiah comes in because some of the Jews are oppressing other Jews in Jerusalem. They're, they're acting in ways that are not biblical. And Nehemiah jumps in, 519, after he steps in, he says, remember me, oh my God, for good, according to all that I've done for this people. Uh, if you look at chapter 6 and verse 9, uh, and basically, <clears throat> He says this, for all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and will not uh, have it done. But he says, Nehemiah says, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. He's persecuted, but he says, God, don't let me fall. Give me the strength I need to carry on to be faithful what you've asked me to do. And if you look at uh, chapter 614, Again, persecution, and then he prays again. Remember, oh my God, Tobiah and Sabaoth, according to these works of theirs, and also Noah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Again, he keeps coming back to God over and over and over. When the crisis has come, he jumps in to prayer. And then uh, if you look at chapter 13, uh, again, he is in prayer, 13, 14. Uh, basically, he says, remember me for this, oh my God, 
Do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. He had stepped in again to deal with situations that were not good. Uh, verse 22, and I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. For this, here he gets praise. For this also remember me, O my God. Have compassion on me according to the greatness of thy loving kindness. Verse 29, again he prays, remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant and the priesthood and the Levites. Over and over and over, when Nehemiah finds tough situations, he doesn't say, well, I'm going to handle this on my own. He looks up in prayer, sometimes verbally, sometimes just in his heart, and he says, God, you've got to come in. You've got to intervene because we can't handle this just on human wisdom and human strength. You need to be our helper. He is a man of prayer. Uh, and we need to be uh, people of prayer. I believe that. And we need to know that prayer makes a difference. Let me say it again and again and again. When you pray, prayer makes a difference. I know we may not see with our eyes right off the bat a change. And there's the challenge of prayer. Because sometimes when we don't see anything, the devil comes in and says, well, nothing's happening. You can see it, nothing's happening. We got to know that in the invisible world, when we pray, things begin to shift. So we need to be people of prayer, just like Nehemiah. Uh, I believe we need to be praying for our families. Uh, we need to be praying uh, for overseas. We need to be praying and standing in the gap for the Ukraine situation. We need to be standing in the gap for the Israel situation. If we're people of compassion, that should kickstart us right into uh, prayer. I think uh, we need to be praying for our nation. Obviously, if you look at our nation, it's divided. Uh, in many ways, we're deviating from the Bible, doing things that we shouldn't be doing. It, it's serious. It is serious. And we need to be praying on a daily basis for our leaders, for the president, uh, for the school situations that we're facing. So, so important. And we need to also be praying for the churches. Uh, unfortunately, in many churches around the world, uh, the churches become lukewarm. Uh, the churches become worldly. Uh, and the church has lost its power. It's lost its authority. And we need to be praying for the churches for revival. Uh, that's why some of us have felt led uh, to once a month join the churches together in our area and as a united force without denominations here or there or church here and there, but to come together with one purpose and saying, Holy Spirit, send another Pentecost on the churches that we would be on fire, and that as we would be on fire, the communities would feel the effects of that. So the third Sunday of each month at 6.30, we gather as churches in the area. We just met last Sunday night over at Mission Point Church, uh, and the third Sunday in March, uh, we're going to be meeting at the, uh, the uh, let's see, Tabernacle. Oh, I got a mind block. Praise Tabernacle right there on Ocean Heights. Uh, so if you'd like to know where we're meeting, if the site is Revive Us Again, no break in that, reviveusagain.org, and you can find out where we are. But I just want to give you a personal invitation. I believe the more we pray for that, the more we pray for the miracles in motion, that releases God and the Holy Spirit to do something 
and change things up. So, okay, uh, we need to be people of compassion, which many times leads right into prayer. Uh, but there's uh, just two other things we need to realize as we look at Nehemiah 2 is that we need to experience God's favor. And God's favor is basically his blessing and his goodwill toward his people. Now, I began to scratch my head, okay, favor, favor, you know, where is that? So I started to look through the Bible to give us a couple verses on the idea of favor and God's blessing. So let me just give you a couple of these. Uh, and the best uh, places I could find would be in Proverbs. So if you look at uh, <clears throat> Proverbs, and if you look at chapter 2, I'm going to basically uh, share some of these with you. Uh, Proverbs 2 and 7 and 8, it says this. He who stores up sound wisdom for the upright is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. He preserves the way of the godly once, then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. Uh, so again, I think it's referring to God's wanting to bless. He wants to bless his people with wisdom. Uh, if you look at, uh, let's see, Proverbs chapter 2, uh, and let's see here, Proverbs 2, let me see, no, I'm sorry, I'm looking here, success, no, wait a minute, favor, blessing, good, okay, let's look at Proverbs 3, I'm looking at my notes here, I want to make sure I get it straight. Uh, Proverbs 3, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and the peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God. So favor here, he says, if you want favor, don't forget my teaching. That's the book right here. Do not forget my teaching. And then he goes here, but let your heart, here it is, keep my commandments. If you want God's favor and blessing, he says very clearly, don't forget my teaching. Keep my commandments. Uh, and it says God's going to give length of days and he'll give you peace. He says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. So if you want God's favor, be kind to other people. Uh, <clears throat> basically, uh, also, follow truth. And if we do that, it says you'll find favor and a good repute in the sight of God and man. Uh, and if you look at Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 32, okay, 8 and 32. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, uh, because this is kind of referring to wisdom, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction, be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Favor from the Lord. So again, if you want to experience God's favor, he says, number one, he says, listen to God. He says, open your ears 
listen to what God is saying. Uh, and he says, basically, uh, heed instruction uh, to what God wants you to do. And last one, uh, basically, uh, if you look at 13, and it says this, 13, 15. Okay. It says, uh, Proverbs 13 and 15, good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. So favor is God's blessing upon us. And I just want you to see again in Nehemiah, Nehemiah experienced God's favor because he did what I was just talking about. Um, basically, uh, Nehemiah 2 uh, and then 7 and 8, it says uh, that basically he prays, God, help me when I address the king. Let the king be favorable so I can go to Jerusalem so that I can rebuild the walls. And uh, chapter 2 and at the end of 8, it says, and the king granted them. That's the request to me because what? The good hand of my God was on me. God was giving him favor. Uh, in uh, 2, 17, he basically says this, uh, that as they go and begin to rebuild the walls, in 2, 18, he says, and I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me, and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. Uh, let us arise. So he's talking to the officials and he says, God's put his favor on me, folks. Let's roll with the ball. God says, go. His favor's on me. Let's go build the walls. That's what he says to the officials. And last, uh, 2, 19, uh, basically, here's the opponents. When Sanabella, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard it, they mocked us, despised us, and said, what is the thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them, and I said to them, the God of heaven will give us, here it is, success. Therefore, we, his servants, will rise. So God's going to give success. So real quick here, as we're beginning to uh, wrap this up in just one more, we need God's favor to be effective in ministry. And if I looked at some of those verses in Proverbs, I think there's three things that are going to give you and I favor today. Number one. Uh, it says we need to hear and read God's word, okay? If you want to experience God's blessing and favor, we've got to be into this book. And I thank the Lord for each of you folks that have taken the Bible and you're reading it. You're, you're here on the soap. And I'm sure many of you read it not just to fulfill the soap, but to do other times. Uh, that's an amazing thing. So if we want God's favor, first, we got to be people of the word. And number two, I think... Uh, we basically, it says we need to be people of understanding of the word. So it's not just reading the Bible and say, okay, that's nice. I read the chapter, check. It's saying, no, 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 I got to understand what I read. And how do I do that? I take time, I meditate, I think about it. Uh, and that would be like, you know, we're done here. You might go back and say, let me look at Nehemiah again. Man, he's a man of prayer. Let me study that. Or why did he have favor? And you study there. It's it's taking the word, not just reading it, but trying to understand what's being written. 
And to, to put it in modern day, how's it affecting my life? So we need to be people who read the word, who understand the word, and then last, people that do the word. Okay, not enough just to read the Bible. We need to be doing the Bible. Uh, it says this in James 1.22, prove yourselves to be doers of God's word and not only uh, hearers who delude themselves. So basically, he's saying, if you only hear the word and don't do it, he said, you're, you're, you're foolish. You've missed the whole point. You're deluded. And that applies, in a sense, when we go to church on a Sunday, we hear the word of God. Do we just say, well, that's nice. Pastor Brennan, you had a good sermon. Catch you later next week. Or we read the word of God and we say, oh, that's nice. And we just go about our way. The whole point of reading the Bible, of hearing the Bible, whether it's our own personal study, whether it's going to, to services, whether it's in the small groups, it's being able uh, to not only hear it, but put it into action, okay? And last, we need to realize if we're doing God's work, if we're people of compassion, if we're people of prayer, if we're people... Uh, who are being obedient and experience God's favor, realize that Satan is not a happy camper. He is going to attack you and try to shut you down and demoralize you. No doubt about it. Uh, if you look just real quick here, Nehemiah 2 and verse 10. <clears throat> this is now when Sanabala, the Horite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about it the rebuilding of the walls, it was very displeasing to them <clears throat> that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. They're not happy when they hear this. They're not only not happy, uh, they begin <clears throat> to do something. We looked at verse 19 of chapter 2. They mocked us. They despised us. Uh, so they, they really are not happy. If you look at chapter 4 and verse 1, and it came about when Senebal heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And if you look all through chapter 6, again, these people are coming against the Jews, coming against Nehemiah, because they're seeking to do God's will. So just realize this. If you seek to do God's will, Satan is not going to be happy. Uh, we're told uh, very clearly <clears throat> In John 10, 10, Jesus said the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his game plan in your life. He wants to steal the blessings of God out of your life, if he can, in any way, shape, or form. He comes to destroy your life and make you miserable, depressed, anxious, whatever he can do to shut you down emotionally. And if indeed uh, he can get you uh, to kill, that that get people so down and out that they'd even consider suicide. So we have an enemy. The enemy right here were these people, Tobiah and Tenabella. It wasn't just them. Satan was behind them trying to shut down the work. If we remember in the book of Esther, uh, the, again, there's persecution trying to wipe out the Jews. Uh, there is a major battle. And I wrap up with this uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul puts it this way, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He's saying that to us right now as we're in a battle. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, folks, we are in a battle, and just realize we are victorious. We just need to, to use the armor, as Paul says, and not only use the armor, but the, the offensive weapon, getting back to that again, we have against the devil is prayer. It's because we get on our knees that God allows us to win the battle. So, folks, that's it. Uh, let's be people that have compassion, that let our hearts beat with the heart of the Lord. Let's be people that stand in the gap and pray. Let's experience God's favor as we read his word, as we seek to understand it and obey it. And let's also realize we're in a battle. But thank God we've won the battle through Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for Nehemiah 2. Uh, as we see different insights, Lord, from this chapter that we can apply to our lives. So I just pray for each of my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray for myself. Lord, give us your heart. Lord, let our hearts be touched with what touches your heart. Help us to be compassionate, Lord, whether it's in our own family, whether it's in the church, the world. Let us be tender with your love, Lord. And Lord, put a burden on us to be people of prayer, believing, Lord, that prayer makes a difference, Lord. Uh, and that as we pray, things shift and change in the invisible world. And Father, I pray you'd help each of us to be people of your word that would seek to put it into action, Lord, so we can experience your favor and that your kingdom can go forward. And Father, at the same point, uh, give us understanding that there's going to be battles in our lives. Uh, and Satan will try to shut us down and demoralize us. But we thank you, Lord, you've said in your word, greater is he, your spirit in us, than he that's in the world, the devil. So, Lord, turn us loose. Help us to be a great light in a dark world. And we pray at Jesus in your strong and holy name. Amen. God bless you, folks. Go out and be a world changer. Amen.